Hey, you got him with this one, dog. It's so soulful. Let's take him back. Come on. Hey, remember back in the block in the summertime when the sidewalk got so boiling hot that the heat from the street almost melts your flip flops or burn through your new shoes and leave you. With holes in your socks Us city slickers, there was no water in spots So we'd head to the corner, Mr. Warner would knock Off the knob What is up? Welcome, welcome, welcome all my doodadders Future fathers, potential parents, and everyone else tuning in This is Dad Hard with a podcast And uh, I am your host, Mo Green And I am just a dad that talks to other dads to try to help us all to be the best dads that we can be. And this week is no different as coming up after the musical break in our guest segment, I have a, uh, a fantastic guest that actually dives deep into some serious parenting tactics uh, based around his book, The Uncontrollable Child. Uh, so we'll get that into that in just a little bit. But it's actually pretty telling and perfect that I have him on the pod this week because I am currently dealing with the first time where I'm trying to wrap my head around controlling an uncontrollable child. Uh, not that my daughter's uncontrollable, but, you know, she's getting to that age where it's starting to get defiant and she is much more independent than she's been in the past. So it's a lot of push and pull with, you know, even to the point where I am showing her videos on my phone and she's like, no, I want to hold it. I want to hold it. You know, so this is a perfect, perfect point For me to be talking about uncontrollable children, although that's not really what our conversation is about on the guest side, but it's a lot of relation to that. Um, That said, I am 92 weeks into parenting. Yes, my daughter's 92 weeks old today. And yes, I also had to do some severe math in order to figure that out. (laughs) Um, uh, Because now it's just going by months, right? She's about 22 months, 92 weeks, et cetera, whatever. And she is at this point where defiance is becoming an issue. Um, I I hope to do a a whole whole episode here in the next couple of weeks just based around the defiance of young children, especially around the word no, which just like stabs me in the heart every time she says it, which is now just becoming so much more often um, that my wife and I are now trying to kind of turn that into a game. But that's even besides the point. Um, there's a lot of defiance going on with, with her right now in just in that she wants to be less controlled by us. Right, she wants to do things on her own. She's in daycare now, and there are a, a, a couple of older kids there. Uh, one in particular that she's very close with. That you know, she's obviously picking up stuff from. You know what I mean? From picking her nose to you know the defiant stances that she's taking because she comes back and she has these new things, and we're like, who did you learn that from? There's no way you learned from the other little kids there, um, but. It's starting to become a little bit of a thing where we want her to do something that she's done easily in the past, but she just doesn't want to do it. She wants to do her own thing. Or she, you know, when she eats, we try to help her with the spoon. It's like a defiant, no, I want to do it. Um, You know, going up the stairs, you know, we just moved into a new apartment that has a lot of stairs and she's learning how to go up and down them, but like, she still doesn't want your help to do it. You try to hold her hand, no, I want to do it, you know, Um, and this is something that, that we've been dealing with and trying to figure out and navigate the best way to accomplish that. And honestly, parents, doodadders, I am Shit out of luck, uh, because I just don't know how to tackle this thing. I've been trying to, you know, joke around with her. I try to turn it into a games. I try to be a little bit more stern and say, no, you have to do this, have to do that, etc. Um, I've tried a lot of things, and she just keeps this this sense of defiance uh, in the mix. And I don't. I'm at a loss. I'm at a little bit of a loss. So. You know, this is a difficult age to try to try to be figuring that out as they start to become two. You know, they really are in that middle ground between being baby and being toddler. 
and you know you always hear about the terrible twos. Uh, I, this I guess is when they start, um, and and I fully understand this concept of terrible twos because she she really just doesn't want to listen. She wants to do her own thing. She wants to be defiant and stand against things. She doesn't want help with things that she needs help with, uh, and she'll even she'll do a funny thing where she even uh, addresses that she needs help with something, right? She'll like pick something up and try to carry it over and she'll be like, oh, too heavy, it's too heavy. And then you ask for help, it's like, no, I do it, you know? Um, so it's turning into a little bit of this uncontrollable sense or the most uncontrollable that she's been uh, thus far. The biggest stance that she's making that is like actually dangerous and really starting to freak freak us out is her desire to not hold our hands anymore when crossing the street right again she thinks she's big she thinks she's independent she doesn't need to hold mommy and daddy's hand anymore and so she just starts trying to run into the street and it is so petrifying and this is where it really starts to scare me um, uh, about not being able to reel her in and her trying to actively take this defiant stance against us uh, is that it can lead to these dangerous scenarios. You know, I she was running in the park the other day and I, I tried to get her to stop running because there was a tire swing swinging back and forth and she was like, no, 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 no. I just ripped away from my hand and turned and ran right into the boom hit right in the face with this tire swing. And then she started crying. You know, the other day she almost fell down the stairs because she was wanting to go up by herself. And I was like, no, let me hold you. Let me hold it. No, no, no. And then she slipped and almost tumbled backwards. Thank God I was there and caught her. But I guess children have to kind of figure these things out on their own. Um, and, and, and as I talk about in my conversation with uh, Matis Miller about this concept of an uncontrollable child, you know, it, it, you have to, it seems that you kind of have to regulate their independence with also supporting it at the same time, right? He, he talks about this concept of dialectics and that's what I've now been trying to do since talking to him, uh, trying to accommodate her independence while also uh, trying to reel it in at the same time um, and guide. And it, it's definitely proving harder um, because she just is in this mode of wanting to explore, wanting to experience things on her own. She wants to be treated less as a baby and more as a child or, I mean, I guess in this case, a toddler, but she wants to be treated as more of a child. Uh, or who knows? In her mind, she probably wants to be treated like a goddamn adult because that's that's how she seems that she wants to be treated. She's already a freaking teenager uh, and just thinks I'm about to hand over the keys to the car and say, go ahead. Um, but on the flip side of that, the independence thing is a fantastic thing to watch as well when they're not being so defined and yelling no at you all the time and that she wants to do it um, because it is really incredible to see them want to try all of these things. The biggest thing for me specifically is like the walking up the stairs thing. Uh, and then this morning, it turned into going down the stairs. This is the first time we've tried to teach her how to go down the stairs on her butt. And she just loves it. You know, she doesn't want you to hold her, but she doesn't mind that you do it with her. Right? Her, her big thing now is when she wants you to come and do something, she'll walk over, she'll hold her hand up and say, Daddy, come. Daddy, come. Daddy, come. Mommy, come. Mommy, come. Papa, come. Papa, come. Grandma, come. Grandma, come. And that means she wants you to come with her. So today she's eating her pancakes and she's sliding down the stairs for the 14th time in 20 minutes. Uh, and then she stops and sits on the stairs and she's like, Daddy, come sit with... And she wanted me to come sit with her. And then go up the stairs and then slide down on my butt with her as she slides down on her butt. Um, it's a cute thing. But that, that part of it is really awesome to watch because you now get to see them independently learn things, right? Previously, they've, they've learned things from you showing them. You know, they, she learns the ABCs and how to talk and colors and whatever because you're pointing that out. 
This, you're like teaching her how to do something that she has to learn on her own. And she has to figure out how to do on her own. What is the best way for her to climb up the stairs? What is the best way for her to slide down the stairs on her butt? She has to figure out these small intricacies that you know best work for her and it's interesting to watch that happen um you know specifically with with the stair thing but watch her learn these things independently and what works best for her body and where she's at right now and what she's comfortable with and then increasing that level of comfortability you know so going up the stairs it starts with a one one arm one knee other arm other knee one arm one knee but now she's trying to like lift her whole leg up and put one step on and trying to step up like a real person uh so it's just interesting to see how that evolves and how that changes and that's kind of the good side of of them becoming more independent is that they're more willing to try stuff expand their comfort levels uh and and try to learn it on their own uh and that's just such an awesome thing i'm I'm super pumped uh for her to be doing that uh because that's really how you become a functioning person right is gaining your independence stretching your comfort zone so you can understand what your true limits are and this is really the first time that she's attempting to do that and that's awesome um the uncontrollable stuff i'm gonna have to keep reading uh mattis's book and figure out how i'm gonna deal with that but that's for another time. Uh, with that said, let us let us jump into the musical break. And on the other side, I have my conversation with Matis Miller, author of the book The Uncontrollable Child. Uh, it is a fantastic conversation and definitely one of the most helpful as far as parental guiding that we've had on the show. So uh, jump into the musical break. And then I got Matis on the other side. Let's go on a shape safari. Let's go on a shape safari. Let's go on a shape safari. We're going on a shape safari and looking all around. We're going on a shape safari. We're headed to the town. I see a house over there. And you know what? It's also a square. This week's episode of Dad Hard with a Podcast is brought to you by Tony's, the creator of the amazing speaker box toy, the Tony Box, that comes fully equipped with little figurines that have songs and stories. You can have your Disney princess pack. You can get the Lion King. You can get even blank creative Tony's to create your own stories and your own songs and just harness that creativity with your child. Log on to Tony's.us right now. That is T-O-N-I-E-S dot U-S and put in the promo code PARTNER15 and get 15% off your purchase of any Tony product and tell them that Dad Hard sent you. Remember back in the days before you got blazed and lost in the haze. Remember back in the times when being just a kid was fun. Right, right. Remember back in the days before you had brains or cared about your ways. Remember back in the times when being just a kid was fun. Right, right. Ha. Remember the sandbox, little we are back with this week's episode of Dad Hard with a podcast. And as always, you know, once that music break hits, it is time for the guest segment of the show. And yes, everyone listening, this week's guest is a very special one as always. And I'm super excited and very interested to talk to my guest this week. He has a background in social work and a real focus on childhood behavior, childhood behavior disorders, and to the point 
where he has just released his book, The Uncontrollable Child, talking about uh, child behavior and dealing with children that may have behavioral disorders. This is the first time we're touching on this in Data Harbor, the podcast, and I think it's absolutely important to tackle this side of parenting too. So like I said, I am very excited to welcome my guest this week, father of six, author, social worker, childhood behavioral expert, Mattis Miller, how are you, sir? I am doing great, Mo, and thank you for that introduction, and I am so excited to be here. I'm just feeling your energy, so I'm jumping <laughs> right in here. That's, fanta- that's fantastic. I, uh, As I mentioned before, we are recording. I am coming to you live from my brand new podcast studio in my brand new Brooklyn apartment, so hopefully this goes off without a hitch and my daughter doesn't hear me screaming in the room next door and we have to cut and, and move up, move to a different room. But hopefully it'll go off without a hitch. As I mentioned when I when I did the, the introduction for you, you're a father of six kids. And that's where I want to start this thing because how in the world do you do that? I'm still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> I, I wrote the book, but that I didn't figure out. Yet. Right. So it, it's... Having children is a blessing and it's a beautiful 100%. thing. And at the same time, it's come, it comes with challenges along yep. the way. And having six kids is wonderful and a gift and fun and stimulating and dynamic. I, I, bet, I bet it is stimulating. You never have a chance to not be stimulated with six kids going on. Exactly. exactly. And, and those long distance trips are, are great, you guys. You should try that. Oh, my time. God. Crying and this one screaming and this one has to go to the bathroom and this one asking when we're going to be there and this one you know the teenager getting all annoyed and just want to listen to their music and doesn't want to hear everyone else crying so we have lots of those wonderful opportunities and it's what's really nice about having six kids from eighteen months to age sixteen. What a range! That's incredible. Yeah, and and you get to really see each child in different stages. You also really get to see how each child is so different. That's what I was exactly about to about to ask as you ended that. That must be the coolest part of it is seeing how different they are. They come from the same two people. You know what I mean? It's just, it's the same it's the same, you know, DNA in them, but it must be so interesting to see how they how they differ from each other. What's that like? It's incredible. And they are completely different of course they're the same as you said genetically and their similarities and maybe their some of their facial expressions obviously their physical features sure at the same time i can really look at each of my child and see a whole different human being yeah their their strengths and their weaknesses sure their struggles and their successes some are really strong and athletic some are not as athletic some are academically stronger some are more emotional, yeah. uh, more sensitive, you know, it, it's, and, and you watch and you also see as, as they change. Yeah. So there are many different stages. Although we know in child development that there are stages and there are similarity in the stages, yet with every child, it's different. Yeah. And I think that's one of the focuses that I talk about in the book. Sure. Is that there's no right way to parent. And the reason why I say there's no absolute right way to parent is because Every child has different needs, mm-hmm. different emotional needs, different physical needs, uh, different capabilities. And I think it's really important as a parent to be able to hone in, be mindful, understand what those needs are. Mm-hmm. And also obviously understand your own reaction to those behaviors and those needs, because that certainly plays a role as well. But it is really special, you know, when you have a a really nice occasion or you're all sitting around a table or you're playing a game and having a good time. There are those special moments where you're all laughing together in yeah. the kitchen having a good time. So it, it's it's really nice. Yeah, that's fantastic. The, the age range I want to touch on a little bit before we dive into your background. And no, one, no one cares about my degrees. They just like that I have six kids. <laughs> Thank you. Well, exactly. <laughs> you go to school forever. You got six kids, you're good. <laughs> You must know what you're talking about. You, but but your your kids range from from 16 to to, to 18 months. So I joked before we started re- recording that you have a 18 month old destroying your apartment, and you're about to have a 16 year old who you mentioned just got their their driver's permit about to be destroying your car. Is there any area that you're going to be able to go in that is not going to be destroyed now by one of your kids? 
you know, it's it's hard to get time for yourself or have your own space. Yes, and, yes. And as a parent with a big family, especially with your partner, it's it's so important to make sure you carve out that time. Sure. Carve out the time for the two of you and carve out the time for yourself. Yes. You know, people even say to me, I'm coming home from work and I have my seventh month year old baby. I'm like, that's it. My night's done. Like, there's nothing else I could focus on. And you can imagine if you have six. And it's also, it's important to really make time for each individual child. 100%. Because they all need their parents and they need their own time and their own focus as well. So it's it's a balancing act. Yeah. and, And it's hard. How, I mean, are you just really good at time management? Like, how are, you know, like, how... Are, are you juggling all of that? I mean, I have a wife and a, and a 22-month-old daughter, and I don't even know how I'm operating in life. How can I, I – I'm, I'm, like, baffled by your cool, calm, and collectness right now. The fact that you were able to write a book and have six kids together because that is a, a feat among, among feats just writing alone. But, but I mean, how how do you go about that balancing act? Do you, Are you just really good at time management? Do you and your partner just have, like, you know, a full schedules of everything and really, like, carving out those times? What what type of what type of things do you do to manage that bal- that juggling? Well, I have to start off having an awesome wife, so awesome. shout out to her. Yes, fantastic. <laughs> we all do. Shout out to all the wives out there. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I do think, yes, I, I think I have that skill of time management. I am, you know, more focused and managed in terms of my time, so that helps. I don't think you need that skill. Everyone's different, different personalities. I think it's important to be a mindful person, a grounded person, mm-hmm. to be also learn how to regulate yourself, your own emotions. Not everyone's going to have a perfect structure. And I wouldn't say my home looks like exact, like dinner time. We're not all at the table at the same time. This one's eating this time. That one's walking in, grabbing this, running outside. They're all over the place. Sure. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like, you know, people watch, they see something on TV and everyone's sitting there saying their prayers and, you know, it's not real life. No, it's yeah. not real life at all whatsoever. <laughs> but I watch those type of shows being a parent now, and I'm just like, wow, this doesn't happen. Like, people yeah. don't sit around. Like, what what family is getting their kid to sit does, around the table? Those kids are going to probably end up being uncontrollable when they grow right. up. Right. You just hit a perfect segue. Before we run into that yeah, segue, sure. I just have to add something that's really important yeah. to your audience. Is you asked, how is it managed? As the kids get older... Mm-hmm. They, they become more independent. Well, sure. So I'm not giving as much. You know, my 16-year-old is gone most of the day. My daughter comes home. She has her friend. She has her homework. We don't have to do. And, and you know, when they're in the mood or when their dad really says, hey, you got to help out. Yeah. They also help out. So there is that piece of it, too, that makes it easier to manage with a larger family. Yeah, I guess that I guess that is true, and that's probably the great thing about having such a, a variance in age for your kids because, you know, people that are just popping them out one after the other after the other. Like, my wife has a friend who has, what, she has four kids now, and they're all within, like, they're between, like, I think the oldest one is six, and the youngest wow. one is just turned two. Wow. I believe. <laughs> if, if memory serves me correctly, maybe the oldest one is seven or eight, but, like, that's like a... That, that's so short. That's a lot of work on the parents to deal with that, you know, because like they're, the kids are never going to be able by the time the kids are ready to help out, all of them are going to be self-sufficient. That's, that's a really difficult way to do it. You kind of space these, space them out a little bit so that now you're reaping the benefits of having older children that can help out, you know, whether it's with the younger one or whether it's, you know, around the house while you're dealing with the younger ones, etc. You did get into a little bit of a segue before in mentioning that a kid is going to be uncontrollable. That's sitting there. That is the title of your book, The Uncontrollable Child. So being that you said that, what makes an uncontrollable child and i mean in i'm sure there are a lot of things that go into that but you alluded you alluded to to one example of that what what have you found in in writing this book and in your profession creates this sense of a quote-unquote uncontrollable child and actually what is an uncontrollable child an excellent question so i think there's no clear cut description no singular definition for the uncontrollable child yes there are some disorders some that we know of such as ADHD sure. or ODD which is oppositional defiant disorder or newer diagnosis I talk about DMDD disruptive mood dysregulation disorder or a child who has generalized anxiety or some other mood difficulties 
that makes it very, very hard to be able to parent that child for many different reasons. However, I, I see as the uncontrollable child is really for the parents where they're like, this child is out of control. I can't do anything right. Whatever I do, they get upset. She gets upset. She screams. She yells. I, I feel like my whole life is feeling uncontrollable. Yeah. I do specifically, a lot of the focus of my work is children who are more emotionally sensitive. Sure. More reactive. Those children who are easily crying, they get stuck in mood states for longer periods of time. Very black and white thinkers. Mm. So it's this or this, and, and it's very difficult to reason with them. They're very, they're non-compliant. So that child with more intense emotions, which is not necessarily their fault. A lot of that is their biology and the way they are. However, parents often don't know how to deal with that child. So the uncontrollable child is really the child that any parent is struggling in parenting. Sure. And, and specifically the child who's having, you know, significant emotional and behavioral difficulties in the home and outside the home, perhaps sure. in schools, socially on the playground, so on and so forth. Sure. So, do, so you, so do you find that it that it actually, I mean, based on what you're saying, right? And 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 I did, like as I mentioned, I did get through some of the book. So you know, uh, based on the some that I've gotten through, and and what you're saying here, it seems like the uncontrollable, the, this concept of the uncontrollable child might also be. Uh, relating somewhat also to, to the parents' inability maybe to, to to control them as well as their behavioral and emotional disorders, or am I way off base in saying that? No, you're not way off. I would have called it the uncontrollable parent. parent right? That's oh, exactly what I was sold. thinking as you talked about it. It would not have solved. Would have that's very true. I'm not the problem. I keep the problem. <laughs> what does this author think he's doing? <laughs> no. no, but in all seriousness, it's really both. Yeah. You know, because we, we talk about, and I don't know if we're going to get into this dialectical concepts or a theory, but change is transactional. And the way we respond or react to a situation or to a person, that's going to affect them. And then how they respond is going to affect us. Sure. So it is it's, it's both on the, the child who's having the struggle and the parents who's struggling with with the child that's having struggle, yeah, yeah, I get it. So when when so when you were saying this, this is a, this is just a, a funny little anecdote that that I will throw in because as you're talking about this, I'm thinking about my best friend in in kindergarten and first all the way pretty much up through fifth grade. His name is Jake Merkin. Now Jake Birch, shout out to you, miss you, man. I hope Montana's treating you well. But but he he would be would have been considered an uncontrollable child. And I'm sorry, I'm putting your business out there, Jake, but. Bear with me. He, he would have been considered an uncontrollable child. However, a lot of his uncontrollability ha- happened to do a lot with his parents being uh, not, not having the right tools in their parenting arsenal, right? They're, they're great parents. Don't get me wrong. They're great people. Uh, but not having the right tools in their parenting arsenal to be able to control him. Meanwhile, he comes over to our house. He used to li- basically live at our house because... He was able to be more in control of himself and controlled easier in that environment. Do you find a lot that uh, that 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 type of thing has happened with these kids that would be classified as uncontrollable children? Sure. I mean, that's exactly what the book is trying to help the parents is giving them tools and strategies. But more importantly, changing the way they think and shifting their perspective on how they actually see the child. Interesting. And very often, you know, you have a situation like that where a child is, however you define uncontrollable, the parent has a lot of judgment or expectations on how the child should be sure. rather, rather than where the child is. Yep. And how can they broaden their perspective and seeing that the child is exactly as they should be, perhaps it's not their expect, expectation, perhaps it's hurtful or it's sad or they wish their child would be different and they can acknowledge that. So, yes, the parent-child interaction is huge. And I found that in my work, and that's really what led me to write this book and integrate DBT, is that I found that it's actually more effective to help the parents relate to their child differently than get the child into therapy and help them very often. Yeah, I, I find, and, and that was the most interesting thing that I found in the amount of the book that I that I was able to get through is that it really is kind of more of like a, to, 
I don't want to say tutorial, but it is really aimed more towards the parents working with being able to, to deal with their child as opposed to just saying something is wrong with this kid. How can we get him right? And I feel like a lot of times, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you find different in your work, but I feel like parents are very much inclined to blame it on the child and try to find outside things to control their kid, whether it's, you know, putting them on meds or putting them in therapy. And they, they don't take the time to look at how maybe their interactions with the child is, you know, feeding into this sense of uncontrollability. Did you find that throughout your work that that has been more of the case? And, and the parents are really trying to turn to outside things to, you know, reel, reel in their children as opposed to looking within themselves and seeing maybe how they can do better? Of course, because it's much easier. Yeah. You know, we're looking back at our, looking at ourselves and being aware of ourselves and looking, and this is the way we, this is the way my parents brought me up. I mean, this is, this is the way it's done. Yeah. Clearly, 100%. this child is not, is not responding appropriately and something's got to be done to fix it. Yeah. And I think very often, and that's where dialectics come in. And that's really the framework of my book is the idea of balancing acceptance and change. And I think you're right. We tend to vacillate in extremes and parents are very much Absolutely. about fix, 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 fix. 100%. Forgetting about validating, understanding, accepting, connecting to the child. Sometimes parents are very... They're very effective in accepting and understanding. They don't know how to put limits. They don't know how to effectively discipline their child. Mm -hmm. So they're on the other extreme. And I think, yeah, when we have a problem, your car breaks down. You, you think about, okay, I got to, I got to fix it. Yeah, we're not. So we're as humans, our brain. The first time we have a problem, we run to problem solve. But also, so, when we find, when when something else has a problem, it's a problem with. The car. It's not a problem with the way that you've been driving the car. Oh, you know what I mean? Right. That's a great example. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. See, we get, so we get, we get the we wheel go. spinning here, Dad, on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, there we go. So I think parents are, you know, taking therapy, getting medication, get, which all might be important sure. and necessary for the child. At the same time, they don't realize that what might be more effective is changing the way they're thinking about the child, perceiving the child, and interacting with the child. Got it. And teaching them how to do that and how to move towards, because let's, let's just talk about for a moment the concept of validation. Mm -hmm. And even if parents aren't punitive or critical or abusive, they often, when a child is struggling or mostly sensitive, they don't realize that they're invalidating the child. So imagine a child, you know, asks for something and you know, you know, sorry, honey, you can't have this now. You're so mean. Why? You know, and the parent says, are you going to cry about this again? Yeah. That's invalidation. 100%. And, and for that child, that's their emotional reaction. Right. They should have that. Maybe you didn't, you weren't so insensitive when growing up. Or he comes in from the playground and he gets upset because someone, someone took the toy away. And you say, Hey, buddy, you know, people take toys away. You got to deal with it. That's invalidation. Right. Rather than learning to validate, wow, that's so hurtful and upsetting. You really love that toy and the kid took it away from you. And validating, because when we invalidate, guess what happens? The child, one or two things. Firstly, they up the ante because they're not mm -hmm. feeling understood. And that's where they start to get more and more emotionally dysregulated. And then the parents start to get more emotionally dysregulated. And this back and forth process gets worse and worse and worse and gets into this whole power struggle. Versus when they validate the child and the child feels understood, that helps them calm the emotion. That doesn't mean they have to give in or, you know, but just communicating to the child. Right. That I understand. Invalidation also leads them to start to get this message. Maybe I'm freaked out. Maybe something's wrong with me. I've worked with people as adults who, you know, whenever they cry too much, they were sent to their room. But they yeah. didn't know how to control their crying. They right. didn't know how to regulate their crying. Right. You know, they and they were taught that, they, that it's wrong. Right. It's wrong, Mike. There's something wrong with being emotional. They yeah. had anger issues. Now, these kids, they, they don't want to have anger issues. They might not have the skills or the know-how or their temperament is different. Like I said, every child is different. And they have different temperament. Mm -hmm. And that uncontrollable child is, is a wonderful child and has their strengths and weaknesses and needs your help. And you need to learn different strategies more effective ways. Maybe it worked for this kid. 
doesn't mean it's going to work for this kid. Right. So, and, and in that being said, you you, you mentioned dialectics, which is which is the big uh, the the big framework for the for the entire book. Talk to me a little bit about that. What is dialectics? How can you how can you inject that into your relationship with your child? What goes what goes into all that? Dialectics is the idea that there can be two concepts, ideas, facts that appear or are opposite and can both be true at the same time. Interesting. And that, that's very hard for us to wrap our heads around. And certainly for a child who sees, sees things as very, very black and white. And what we learn in dialectics is, is that there's always a kernel of truth in the other side. There's always another perspective. So we move away from using, using language like never, always, but. Well, if listen, you're a good kid, but you can't do this. No, mm-hmm. you're a good kid and you can't do this. Because when I use but, I'm discounting the first part of this thing. 100%. And so it's changing my language, the way I'm thinking, and the ability to see that there are two concepts that can both be true. And particularly, which we focus a lot in the book, is on in, in DBT is acceptance and change. If I'm accepting my situation or my child and, or the reality, then this is what it is. Right. I'm not working on changing. And if I'm changing, then I'm not accepting. Those are two opposites. And what we do with dialectics, we hold those two opposites and we use the tension of both opposites to make a synthesis of the two to move towards change, balancing and finding the middle path between acceptance and change. So imagine if you're mountain climbing and you're... You have, you're in a cave and you have two walls on the side of you. You press against both opposite ends to lift yourself oh, up. Interesting. Use the tension what? of opposites. What an analogy. Up. That is phenomenal. I love that. Keep going. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That was phenomenal. <laughs> I'll give you one more analogy that, that I love to say over and I say over often is, is that it's more effective to use two fingers than one when you pick up a pen. If I pick up a pen, it would be very difficult. But if I can use the tension of both, it would be more effective. I also like this analogy very much. That is fantastic. So in, in, in the whole dialectical concept in the uncontrollable child, it's the balance of acceptance and change, of consistency and flexibility. If I'm being flexible, I'm not being consistent. I'm being consistent. I'm not being flexible. How do I balance those things in my, in my parenting? Well, you can be Love. consistently flexible. Wow. You can be consistently flexible. Consistent, exactly. Consistent, like I said. Or, or the concept of love and limits. Sure. If I put in limits, then I'm not loving. If I'm loving, then I'm not putting in limits. Sure. How do we make sense of love and limits at the same time? And how do we move away from going to extremes and move towards a middle path in parenting? Yeah. So that's really the dialectical concept. More than that, dialectics teaches us that change is constant. That everything's evolving. We're a minute older than we're a second older than we were. Where our bodies are changing every second. We have neurons. We're taking in new information. So we're constantly, constantly changing. And that's dialectics. Opening up your mind to realizing. And a lot of times we feel stuck. Where a child is, that child who's right now freaking out from a thunderstorm, is not going to likely going to be screaming and yelling and not wanting to go outside at age thirty. Yeah, I mean, could be. I right. might have to see a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> not likely. Right. That, well, sometimes we think, oh, what's with this kid? Yeah, we have to be that have the ability. And the other is to see dialectic teaches that change is transactional, which I meant uh, mentioned to you before. Sure. To understand how we are affecting our environment, our environment is affecting us. And when we push other people, they push us back. When mm-hmm. we're softer, they're softer. Yeah. And understand dialectics. So the world is built on opposites. There is every aspect of the world is positive and negative charge. There is there's land, there's sky, there is there is male, there's female. Everything is built on opposites, even to matter and antimatter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And dialectics helps us expand our idea that there is oh, there is something else. There is another side. Yeah. And that can really help us be less judgmental, more accepting. And even if we don't get it, we can enter the paradox and say, okay, I don't get this. There must be another opinion. There must be another side. And being willing to look for that kernel of truth. So when you have that child who is getting really angry or screaming or not doing their homework, just take a step back and saying, there is a cause and effect. 
there's a reason why doing they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. Rather than this is not okay. This doesn't make sense. It does make sense for the child. They should be not doing their homework right. until we figure out how to help them be more effective in doing their homework. Right. So, so with a with a child like this, well, I mean, I, I know, I know you're talking about including this this concept of dialectics into into the mix in order to be a more effective parent. But you know, let's say let's say you do have, you you have a child that has diagnosed ADHD, right? Not, at least in my experience, nine times out of ten. I, a child gets gets diagnosed with ADHD, they're immediately put on Adderall or Ritalin or, Ritalin or something like that, right? And, and they go and they, and they go directly to either therapy or or medication, etc. What should they be doing? Or, or, or in in your opinion, I guess there is, like you said, there is no right way to parent, right? So there is no should or should not. But you know, what would be the most effective way in in your studies in your work to deal with with something like that and and help to help to to best be a effective parent for that child to help them grow into you know i I don't i don't know what type of person i'm going to say so i'm just going to say into a more you know non-uncontrollable person there you go more successful a successfully emotional person exactly so I think just in terms of the ADHD, we know that first-line treatment for ADHD is a stimulant, and it is really effective to put you know, a child in Adderall. It doesn't work for all children. Mm-hmm. And, but before you even go to the change, you first have to accept. You have to accept many parents aren't going to even move towards change or getting their right help because they're denying that the child might have some struggle or difficulty. So they're fighting that reality. You have to accept that this is what the child has, not what they are. It's symptoms that they have. Right. So you're not labeling them, oh, you're the ADHD kid. Right, right, right for sure. Which, which is what most people do. All right, correct. So maybe getting medication, but medication is not going to be always be effective and therapy is not going to be always effective, but you're balancing acceptance and change. And therefore, firstly, number one is acknowledging and accepting the reality and the facts of what your child is struggling with and letting, to, letting go of judgment and appreciating and loving them for who they are. I also think that often when children do have ADHD, the parents are, they're, they're not accepting the child and they're judging the child. And that's what I was talking about, that really it's important to accept that this is not something that they necessarily want to do. Right. That it's hard for them to control their, their impulses, their urges. The other piece of it that's really important is learning how to implement behavioral strategies and skills with a child like that. So while understanding, you can't put the same expectations that you have on a kid who's not struggling with ADHD on your child who does have ADHD. Sure. So you have to, again, it's that balance of accepting, understanding who they are and their struggles. At the same time, putting in limits, you know, giving them consequences and, and constantly monitoring, is this being, is it effective? Is it working? Yeah. And if I find that I'm using this skill or strategy again and again, I just had a case it's just this recently someone sat down with me they, they the child was in a school and child has adhd and the he's getting thrown out of class a couple times a week goes to the principal's office and they suspend him and this is going on legit for like three four months jesus just sending this kid out and i i said to the parents what's the goal what are they trying to accomplish why did they send the child out of the classroom? Yeah. Well, likely it is because they wanted them to understand the importance of being appropriate in the classroom, provide some discipline. Well, hey, it's three months. It's not getting better. Right. So now it's actually probably getting worse. You're destroying the child's self-esteem. If he's not part of the school. So it's really important whenever a strategy you're going to use is to see that it's effective and it works. So there are evidence-based strategies, and the book is loaded with a lot of practical skills and strategies. But when I talk about the dialectic, and there's not there's not one way to parent a child, is trying to find that effective path for the child. And if you use the skill and it's working, then continue to use. But if you see it's not getting the results, then you got to take a step back, be mindful, and move forward. So it's the balance of accepting the child's temperament, who they are, their struggles. And their strengths, because kids with ADHD have lots of strengths too. Sure. 
they have creativity, they think out of the box, they have higher levels of energy. There's there are lots of benefits to that. Yeah. And many people in the in corporate world are very successful because they have that energy and that creativity. Listen, my friend Jake that I mentioned earlier who has ADHD is was a phenomenal musician, literally musical genius. Like when especially when it came to, to the drums, and that's what he you know, that just like you're saying. That's what he found. That's what he used to be able to hone all of that excessive and and, and high energy of his. Right. So imagine the parents are, you know, you just you just bang that thing all day. Like, what's with you? You got to do some homework. You got to go to school. You can't just sit there on hours and play and drum. Like, right. instead of taking a step back and say, this is for this child. This is what they need to do. This is their outlet. 100%. At the same time, that doesn't mean, well, this is their outlet so they can go out to two in the morning because they have a gig with a friend to drop. So you got to find that balance yeah. of acceptance and putting in those limits. And and finding that balance is really what parenting is just all about, right? You know what I mean? We're always trying to find, that's how you're an effective parent. Because there is no right right way to parent, you have to find that balance in in being effective right and, and not being right or wrong i feel like i i love that you that you led off this whole conversation with that concept that there's no right or wrong way to parent because i feel like parents get so obsessed with uh am, is this right is this wrong is it right is it wrong and and, it, and it's so black and white for them and then they get and then they get confused when their kids are so obsessed with it, with black and only seeing things in black and white, but really you've you've led to that by by being so obsessed with this concept of right and wrong, and and that doesn't exist. It's just being effective to create the best person that you possibly can. Right, and as we would say in dialectics, exactly, we say exists and it doesn't exist. Yes. 100%. That's true. Right. There is there is also a place where there is a clear right and wrong. Sure. At the same time, in general. It's about being effective and, yeah. and doing what works. And so we're constantly trying to find that balance. And, and I think you're, you're, you're right on on that, is that parents are, there, there's loads of information out there. There is one, there are great podcasts, like that like are. with a podcast? Let's go. I, yeah. <laughs> there, there are, there's lots of information. There are great books. You know, I would love to say the uncontrollable child is the manual, but I can't say that. Of course not. Yeah. At the same time, as we would say in dialectics, it can be a manual. <laughs> it is. It is the book, it and is, it's not the book. It is the manual. You gotta, it's think, not. you gotta figure that out. It'll 100%. take you a few years till you get it. Hundred percent. It will make sense to you. You're taking those two opposites. Wait, Montes just said it is the book, and it's not the book. Those are <laughs> opposites. Well, well, what does it mean? Well, maybe he means it's not the book, but there are parts of it that, that does awesome. make it the book. So that's what dialectics would teach us and shift our thinking. And I think what, what I really want this, this, my goal is with this book is that incorporate everything you learned. Yes. It's full of great strategies, but incorporate whatever you learn within this frame of mind, with with this perspective, with this new way of thinking and learning. And and even every chapter I go through, because I'm a cognitive therapist as well, all the roadblocks, all the thoughts that go in our head that get in the way of our using our skills. You know, why should I accept him? He should just do what he's got to do. That's a kid's job. Or I don't want to accept. Accept means I'm giving up or accept means I'm saying it's okay. Yeah, it's not okay. or I'm being too soft, or I'm not setting the right limits, or right. you know, it, it, right. I, I I see it all the time with with parents, and it like, you know, I obviously get into that mind frame. My wife does also. Like, are we doing the right thing? You know, I mean, listen, I I, I think that we're pretty lucky right now. Our daughter is absolutely exquisite. You know what I mean? She, I, I say to people that I somehow had a contribution to giving birth to the greatest human being alive. You know, <laughs> and and I feel lucky that I can say that because not all parents can say that. They wish they could, but not not all parents do and can say that. I guess all parents can say that, but not all parents yeah, do. I want to be, there are parents who can get to that place. Is that when the child goes on a trajectory or gets to a point or goes through stages that it's really difficult, they can say this child is really difficult and still the most beautiful child in the world. Yeah, 100%.
yeah, listen, and my daughter's yeah. difficult at times, but like, but she's still the great, greatest, you know, greatest human being alive. But, but I see like people, I see parents all the time comparing their kid to my kid and like, oh, what are you doing? You guys are doing it the right way. I'm like, we're not doing it the right way. We're just doing it the way. You know what yeah. I mean? We're just doing it the way that we think is working. And, and, and for now it is, it might not, but by the time she's five, it might not by the time she's 12, it, but we'll find right. that out. Cause change is constant, as we said, and that dialectic, you know, likely change and there will be different periods or stages. And you just said it, it's not as about what we're doing right now is being effective. It's working. There's happiness. There's stability. There is, we're, we're grounded in our environment. We're not feeling out of control as parents. And our child, we're seeing that she's happy and she's developing, she's growing. If we would hit a curve and there would be some issues, we would take a step back. Yeah. We'd be mindful and we'd say, okay, what do we have to do different for this child? Right. Uh, and hopefully you won't ever have that yeah. point and we'll just get it all right yeah. the first time. <laughs> I will have that point. Do not, don't, don't you worry. I'm yeah. sure. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you, I wrote the book and I'm not a perfect dad yeah. and I'm still learning and growing. Of course. You ask me kids, they'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. No, Mattis, I think this is, this has been fantastic. I've learned so much about this and I think that your perspective on parenting, I mean, obviously the book is relating to, you know, quote unquote uncontrollable kids, kids that maybe have more behavioral, emotional issues, but what you what you bring up and this, and well and and that's good 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 call and you're also giving just a a strategy for parenting in general even if your kid does not have any sort of any issues it is a phenomenal way to just look at the concept of parenting in general and and i think that's that's incredible and i think that more parents need to look at it from that angle because they you know they they tend not to you know like i said they tend to be obsessed with this right or wrong instead of saying okay how can we find the middle ground there you know what i mean so i think that's fantastic and this whole conversation has been has been awesome and uh, we're gonna wrap up in a second but what i like to do before i let any of my guests go is to get into you as a parent a little bit you have so i ask two questions always and and always end every conversation with two questions the first you have six kids a lot of parenting experience there a lot of different experiences so of all of those experiences, what has been either your favorite experience or what is your favorite thing about being a dad in general? I think the favorite thing is when I actually watch my kids grow and the values that I imparted and, and I see them going out. I, I see the way they interact with other people. I see the respect they have with other people. I, I I think it's to say, wow, like these are my children and I'm passing on and they're a part of me. And I watch them go out in the world and how they interact with their friends or other people. And I hear the feedback and I see their successes. I also love seeing them grow from challenges. You yeah. know, when there's rough something going on and they're struggling and they, they pull through, I, I can't. I can't even describe how, how meaningful that is. Yeah. You know, yeah. Put in a lot of work. It's, it, you know, it's not all me, but it's wonderful to actually, yeah, we have our fun times and we have our moments when we're playing outside, family trip. Those are all great. But when you actually see your children go out in the world and you, you, you feel so proud. Yeah. The people they're becoming. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And I wouldn't give that up for anything. No, that's so awesome. And and I, I actually can, I start to try to, to try to picture that with my daughter as well. You know what I mean? And in, in, I try to look and see the person that she is, you know what I mean? And how she interacts with people and stuff like that. And I get that, I get that same feeling. She's not all the way there yet, right? She's not fully interacting with the world and everything like that. But I am very excited to have those moments because I can imagine that sense of pride that you have as a parent to see your child like you like you brought this thing up from a little freaking yeah. blob you know and yeah. now they're this this person that's just like an awesome person and the second question that i always ask especially of fathers that are ahead of me in the fatherhood experience what is the best p i mean and now your book is probably a testament to this question and probably answers the entire question but what what would be your best piece of advice 
for a dad behind you in the process as they go through the fatherhood experience? Be present and be aware. Yep. And just make sure you have your priorities and that you're, whether you're a dad, mom, your partner, wherever you are, understand that the role that you, the more you're present and you're in your children's lives, the more likelihood is you'll have that develop that trust, that openness. We can't, we can't control our uncontrollable children. We can control them and we cannot control them. Mm-hmm. That, so that's, that's true. Okay. And they are going to be out in the world, but that relationship and being available and present for your child. And my, I talk a lot about mindfulness and mindfulness skills. And I think it's so important to be attuned, to be present, to make sure for each child, wherever they are, to keep that in your mind always, to be, make sure you're there. And, and sometimes they need their space and be aware of, and give them their space. I would say that's something that has been instrumental in my ability to meet their needs and to respond. And if you find yourself getting busy with other areas in their life and forgetting about your children, whether it's work, whether it's play, whether you're just overwhelmed, you only have so much time with them. Yeah. It's not, you know, before you know it, when they're 16, he's not around so often anymore. Yeah. And as they get older and older. And these years are so important for children. They need their parents. So it's being present. And I think the other thing, which I've talked a lot about, is look to be understanding. Yeah. Look to validate. Look to be open to hear their world, their experiences, and less focus on the way you think they should be. Yeah. I think those would be two things that off the top of my head. No, that's no, no, that's fantastic. The, the present, the being present, is one that I get a lot, and and it's very, it's very, 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 very true to just be there. And and, and you can't un- have understanding for your child if you're not present, right? If you're if you're aloof and you're disconnected, then you're not going to be able to provide that that type of understanding that might be necessary for a kid in general, or a kid that may have emotional, emotional issues, behavioral issues, etc., you're definitely not going to be able to provide that understanding that is necessary to, to, uh, to help them to grow, you know? So I, I feel that 100% that I, that I think is actually probably one of the best pieces of advice that can be given by a parent to a parent is to be present. So that's and I awesome. think if you're present, you're also present for yourself, aware of your own emotions, sure. your own triggers. That's all part of being present and knowing when to take a step back knowing when to apologize to your child you're going to mess up sometimes but that willingness and that openness that they see you're human you're genuine you're loving it's all encompassing yeah. you know 100 percent, and that's fantastic Matis, this has been awesome this is this is actually this might be one of my favorite conversations that I've had on the pod. Like this was just oh it, it, it really, it really is, well because it was it was very insightful. It's very educational, but it was also very fun. This has been this has been absolutely phenomenal. I am I cannot wait now to get off with you and go and dive back into the book because I definitely want to I definitely want to want to finish it because it, it it's fantastic. Speaking of the book. It, it came out April 1st, so a couple of weeks ago. How can people get the book? How can people, you know, find the book? Is it on Amazon? Is it in a book, bookstore? How can people get, get, get the book and uh, start learning how to, you know, deal with their uncontrollable child, which is really the uncontrollable parent? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Mo. You can go to my website, theuncontrollablechild.com. On my website lists all your favorite sellers whether it's Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, BAM, Indigo, wherever you'd like to get your books, go ahead, you press the link, it will take you right to the book. Fantastic. Afterwards, if you actually go back to my website, uncontrollablechild.com, and put your receipt into the, uh, there's a bonus offer there. We actually, we have downloadable materials of all the skills and behavioral charts, and I did videos so you can get that bonus information if you awesome. actually put your information into the web into the website. Fantastic. Um, I also have a blog there, which have a bunch of videos of Tuesdays with Matis, where I actually did some reading the book and gave, gave some real-life uh, examples that people can relate to and cool. took some questions. 
I have some other events posted there. It's also in Barnes and Nobles. So if you want to go out to your bookstore, go get it. Fantastic. Went, I went to check it out. I felt so good. You know, there's my book on the shelf. I, you so. know what? I'm going to Barnes and Noble tomorrow and I'm going to see it. I'm going to send you a picture of me yeah. holding the whole awesome. book. It's going to be fantastic. If people want to connect with you in general beyond the beyond just the website, how can they get in contact with you? Yeah, actually, on the bottom of the website, scroll down the bottom, there's a place to contact me if someone's interested in doing some sort of event or uh, wants to order a bulk of books for an, any, an organization or some sort. They're, they're, yeah, contact me. There's a place to contact the author. Fantastic. Uh, free, even if you have a question or you want to say, this was awesome. I love to hear that, too. Awesome. It helped me with my parenting. Awesome. So. Fantastic. Well, I, I I very much look forward to the day when I can tell you that you helped me with my parenting because I'm going to actually really try to em- employ these dialectics now in into into my parenting because I think it's very important. I think this this finding this middle ground between the two sides of tension and opposites is extremely important in life, but also in in, in parenting in general. I'm going to stop saying but and start saying and, and it's going to be yes. great. <laughs> well, Matas, thank you so very much for coming on the pod. I appreciated it. I love the conversation. I will talk to you very soon. And that is all for this week's episode of Dad Hard with a Podcast. As always, to connect on the fatherhood, brotherhood, shoot us an email at dadhardpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dadhardpod and check out the website wedadhard.com where this episode will be right at the top. That said, that's all for us. Until next week, same dad hard time, same dad hard place. We're out. Peace. Remember back in the days before you got blazed and lost in the haze. Gotta remember the good times. Remember man. back in the times when being just a kid was fun. Right, right. Remember back in the days before you had brains or cared about your ways. Remember back in the times when being just a kid was fun. Right, right. Ain't that the truth, man? I wish you could go back being a little kid again, man. Remember them good times. Everything was free spirit and all that. Talking the playground. He was playing on the monkey balls or whatever. Sprinklers. Hydrants going off in the street in the summertime.